back with you this evening. I hope that you were able to rest and recover from that fine meal that we had uh, this uh, for lunch this morning. We appreciate that and all the, the good works of the ladies of the congregation. If you would, open your Bibles to Joshua. We're going to look at the third chapter. We're going to notice the first six verses. Joshua 3, 1 through 6. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may not know the way that which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. I think we can learn a a lot of very important things from the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament for a reason. It was given to us for our learning, Romans 15.4, so that we can apply those truths of the Old Testament that we, through the Scripture, Paul said, might find comfort. Well, how do we find comfort when we look at so many of the things in the Old Testament? After all, when we do read through the Old Testament, we're going to notice in just a few moments, some of it is not so good. Some of the things that we read about in the Old Testament really are some terrible mistakes that God's people made at that time. When God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, He led them toward the Promised Land. Now, it took them about two years to make that trip. From the time they left Egypt all the way up to the time they stood on the banks of the Jordan and they were going to be able to travel over into the promised land that he had prepared for them. It had been about two years. Now during that time, that two years of travel, God had given them some much needed information. He taught them uh, His law. He taught them how to properly worship Him. He had given them the things that they needed to know in order to be exactly what they needed to be. And when they arrived on the Jordan, all they had to do at that time was go in and take the land. That's all they had to do. They had to go in and take the land. Yet that's not what they did. Instead of doing that, they allowed their faith to waver. They decided that they were afraid of the inhabitants of the land. And after all, the spies said, we're just grasshoppers in their sight. So they could not go in. They refused, in fact, to claim their inheritance. God hadn't taken it from them. God had actually given it to them and they rejected it. They wouldn't go in. They allowed their faith to become weak. They thought it was way too hard to accomplish. Now we can learn something from that, can't we? 
they decided that it would be better to take what they thought was the easy route. They even thought about going back to where those people in Egypt had enslaved them for hundreds of years instead of going on into the promised land and taking it. And because of their unbelief, it would be another 38 years before they would again stand on the banks of that Jordan River ready to go in and take the promised land that God had given them. Now that reminds me of two brothers. They were asked to meet their father at a certain point in a forest and at the start of a trail. And he gave them in some, uh, he gave them some instructions to follow a certain path. Now they could choose one way or the other. One path was very easy and one brother chose that path. He didn't have to go over any kind of obstacles in the path, but the other brother chose the one where there were fallen trees and logs and big rocks and things of that nature. And so they began to make their way through the forest and the one brother, in a very hasty manner, got all the way to the end of the trail and he was very proud of himself that he had chosen that easy path. And he was the first one to the end. Now the other brother, he began to work his way through the trail and over things and under things and around things and he had to address a whole lot of obstacles in his way. Eventually making it to the end of the trail, thinking that perhaps he had chosen the wrong path. Well, later on the father said, I want you to meet me at another certain place in the forest. We have a a test that we're going to take, and this was to prepare you for that test. So when they arrived, they could see this great ravine that they were standing next to, and it was several feet over to the other side, and the father looked at them and smiled and, and nodded his head, and he said, Jump! Well, the two brothers looked at each other, and they looked at their father, and the one brother that had taken that easy path, he decided all of a sudden that he wasn't able to do that. And so he kind of shrugged and he dropped his head and he just walked away. Well, his father asked him, he said, what's wrong? Everything that you had done up to this point, that test that I had given you, was to prepare you for this very test that we're taking. He just walked away because he knew he was not prepared for that. Well, the second brother looked at his father and he kind of was nervous and he grinned at him and then he, he backed up a few feet and then he ran and he jumped over the ravine and he made it to the other side. See, he knew that he had overcome all those obstacles on the course that he had taken, that path that he willingly chose to take, and it prepared him for other obstacles that would come along. And he was able to cross the ravine. He made it. And like the faithful son, we need to understand a few things about obstacles in this life. Life is a series of challenges. A series of obstacles that we can either face or we can run from them and ignore. The messiness, the difficult conversations that we often have to have, the hard work, the discipline, the acting boldly when we would really rather not. You know, that's just simply part of the deal, isn't it? Part of the deal. But that's what Israel should have done. They should have taken that two years of traveling through the forest or the wilderness. They should have learned some things because they had a difficult time along the way. 
Not nearly as difficult as the next 38 years would have been or were. But they should have gone in and jumped across that ravine and been just exactly what God wanted them to be. But instead, what they did was they simply shrugged their shoulders, they dropped their heads, and they headed right back into the wilderness for 38 years. The obvious design of the book of Joshua is to show the revealing of the promises that God made and how they came about. Every single promise that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to those that followed after him were fulfilled in Joshua. They got to the promised land. They inherited the land. They had the nation that God promised. But it was not only given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When we look at this, we need to take some application from this Old Testament passage. We need to be able to apply it to our lives today. We need to be able to find some comfort in it and understand that promise was made to us also. I want us to notice what was told to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1-3, God spoke to Abraham and He said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Abraham, leave where you're familiar, where you're comfortable, where you probably are not going to have that many obstacles, and go to a place, and by the way, I'll tell you where that is on the way. He said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee, And in thee shall all families of the world, the earth, be blessed. We are mentioned in that exact same promise. We are part of all the families of the world. So when we read this, that promise comes to us as well. And not only was it fulfilled in the physical sense in Joshua, then it became fulfilled in the spiritual sense when Christ Jesus came into the world. And we can take comfort from that. If we're not ready to receive it though, if we haven't prepared ourselves to receive that promise, then we're going to be guilty of negligence in not accepting it. That's what happened to Israel. How do we take comfort from the the fact that Israel made a mistake? We learn from it, right? We take comfort in the fact that that we know we can overcome those same problems, the obstacles of life. We can prepare ourselves, unlike Israel did the first time around, and be more like the Israel of Joshua chapter 3. That's what we want. Because after all, each of our lives will culminate in a journey that none of us have ever taken up to this time. Joshua told the people, you have not passed this way before. Now they came right up to the edge of that promised land once, but only Joshua and Caleb were had been there before. All those others that had followed them this second time around had never passed that way before. See, our lives end in a journey that we do not know a whole lot about. We know how it ends at times, don't we? We've seen that. And of course, I'm talking about the journey from time into eternity. We have to make preparation for that. 
And if we haven't properly prepared to receive God's blessing, then we won't receive it. In the words of Joshua, you haven't passed this way before. But let's get ready for that. See, I think the important lesson we should take away from this account of the lives of faithful men and women is their ability to accept the reward. They accepted it. They were able to take it. And they were successful, but they were successful for one reason. They had prepared themselves. They were prepared. They prepared themselves, but why was that? Because it was important. It was important for them to be ready to accept the reward that God was going to give. Now, we all face obstacles in this life. Each of us at some point or another, or perhaps many times in our lives, will have a Jordan that we must cross. Did we take the easy paths right before we came up to the obstacle and now therefore are not prepared to overcome? Maybe we have. But some very specific language is used in our passage that tells us that this new generation of Israelites felt that their preparation was extremely important. The first time Israel sent spies into the land, do you remember how many they sent? They sent twelve, didn't they? Only two came back, Joshua and Caleb, with a report that said, we are well able to take it. We can overcome. Let's go into the land. Well, when Joshua stood on the banks of that river and he was going to send spies in to check out the land this second time, do you know how many spies he sent in? Only two. Now, I don't know if that's significant or not, but it seems to me that it may be. And they brought back a good report this time. Notice what they said. When they came and spoke to Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all of the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Joshua 2.24 What had changed? What was different this second time around that wasn't like it the first time around? The external circumstances were not different at all. It was the same people living in the same land that the same God of heaven had made that same promise. All they had to do is go in and take it. The difference was the people crossing the Jordan. They had prepared themselves. It is then that we learn in our passage this evening, Joshua rose early in the morning and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. How do we know that it was important to Joshua and all those people? They rose early. They got out of the bed, didn't they? They did not linger. We talked about that this morning. Other great men and women of the Bible got up early to do things that they knew to be important. When we look at some of the things that Abraham did, and we read Genesis 22, verses 1 through 5, we know that that is the account of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham taking his only son, the promised son, the son that God said that you loved, take him up and sacrifice him. What did Abraham do? He got up early in the morning. He went to do it. Now he had been three days traveling to that mountain. Three days thinking about having to sacrifice that only son, that only son Isaac that you love, Surely he could have thought of a thousand things that would have caused him to have gotten up late that morning to go sacrifice that son, but it was important because God asked him to do it. 
After Jacob dreamed about the ladder extending into heaven, Genesis 28:10 through 18, he got up early in the morning and he consecrated the place because he knew it was a place that was special. David rose up early in the morning when he went to check on his brethren as the Philistine army and the armies of God had camped against each other. He knew it was important. The women who went to anoint the body of our Lord, they did so early in the morning, Mark 16, verse 2, because they knew that it was important. See, when we know something is important, we will take advantage of it. We'll do it. That's telling to us as Christians, right? When we're willing to get up early in the morning and we're willing to come to Bible class, we're willing to come to worship, we're willing to do the things that God has asked us to do, and we get there on time, right? I used to be regularly late for Bible class. My girls would have to go into Bible class late because their dad was late to Bible class. You know what that told all the other members there? It just wasn't important to me. Not enough at least to get up on time. But when it came time to go to work, guess what? I got there on time. Because if you don't show up to work on time, what happens eventually? Well, they'll find someone that does. It's important for us to get to our jobs on time, isn't it? But it wasn't important to me at once, in my life anyway, to get to Bible class on time. Now, that's not how I should have felt or how any of us should feel. And it's certainly not how we ought to influence anyone, right? People look and they notice what we do. Well, after having rested for three days on the banks of the Jordan River, Joshua sent his captains throughout the camp, throughout all the people, making sure they were prepared to cross over into the promised land. And they were instructed on what they needed to do. That's how important it was. They would have had time to rest. They would have recuperated from their journey. They would have prepared themselves emotionally, mentally, physically. They'd had a good meal, no doubt, the night before. Can you imagine the excitement that must have been going through the camp? The two spies come back and say, it's been delivered into our hands, let's go take it. And they would have been excited. The very promises that God had given all those many years, hundreds of years to Father Abraham, was on the cusp of being fulfilled. And they were there going to see it. They were going to watch it unfold. Boy, what a great amount of preparation that must have been needed for the ensuing drama that was about to happen. See, Christians today, we ought to demonstrate that same type of excitement. We ought to demonstrate that same belief that we think it's important to carry out God's commandments. But when we change God's format, much like those first Israelites did as they stood on the banks of the Jordan 38 years prior to this, what we're saying is, that God can't handle it on His own. We need to help Him. Instead, we need to show Him high honor and esteem and just simply do what He asked us to do. If we do that, then we will be successful. But if we don't, we'll be disobedient and we'll fail. And that's not what God wants. But you know, as we look at this idea of preparation, we look at this idea of it being important, being important and understanding that it is important isn't enough. It's kind of like this idea that once we believe in Jesus or we believe that there's a God in the world, that's all we have to do, that we're saved at that point. That's much like this. 
We understand that it is important to be faithful, but we need something else. We need to understand that we must have initiative, right? We take what we know is important and we put it into action. Initiative. We might know that as spiritual fortitude. Spiritual fortitude. Implementing the action that we know is important. Joshua had spiritual fortitude. And because of his great leadership, his followers had that as well. Joshua was not going to be able to do it on his own, right? He had to have the people of Israel and they were ready. This time around, we do not read about the people of Israel fainting before the inhabitants of Canaan. No, it was the other way around, right? Those two spies had gone into the land. They had spied it out. They had checked it out. Rahab had brought them up into her home and she said, the people are scared to death. They remember what happened when you crossed the Red Sea. That's so many years before that. They were fainting before the presence of God's people. And they prepared themselves because they knew it was important. And they showed great initiative in that. Just like initiative is needed when something important needs to be done, it isn't simply good enough to believe that something is important. We have to prepare for it, right? Joshua and Israel was prepared. But then they had to do something. We might prepare for battle, but if we never go into battle... What good does it do us, right? We must proceed. We must proceed. When we proceed and we go about carrying out God's will, we've done something. We have identified Him as the true God of heaven. We're following after what He says. We give Him that great honor that He is who He said He was. And we're following after Him. Joshua and the people, they identified their source of strength, didn't they? Notice what Joshua recorded for us. He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua 3, 3, the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it. He said, when you see that Ark of the Covenant, they understood what that Ark meant, right? They understood that that was representing God's very presence. The mercy seat, he would have, that's where his, uh, his presence would abide. Christians today, we have a similar thing. It's not the very physical presence of God that would, would come down and speak to the, the priest or the high priest or to the prophet or whatever the case may have been. But we do have the Word of God and within the pages of that living document, we have God's mind. We have what He wants us to do. And through reading what He has given us, we can prepare ourselves. We can be ready to proceed with what He has given us, right? Israel wasn't about to go into battle because they thought they were serving the God of heaven. They were getting ready to go into battle because they knew they were. And they knew that they would be successful. Faithful Christians understand who we serve, right? Notice what Paul said. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. For this cause, for the same cause that they've been talking about, he said, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul had committed himself. He had committed his very soul 
and God was going to take care of it. Don't we sing a song based upon that passage? Sure we do. Notice what that song says. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me He hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Do we mean those words when we say them? We better mean them, right? When we sing those words. If we don't, we're offering up vain worship, Matthew 15, 9. If we say we believe in God and believe in His promises, we better believe that, right? Because we need to believe it. Because it is the truth. God has been identified by us. He was identified by those people standing on the banks of the Jordan River, but it still didn't stop there. They were proceeding because they had identified, but they also had invested themselves in God. See, we have to invest ourselves, right? We have to bring something to the table. It's just like when David was offered the ground and the means by which to build an altar and the the sacrifice to go on that altar, he said, I'm not going to offer a sacrifice to my God that costs me nothing. See, we have to be invested. After having seen the ark and the priest, Joshua commanded this. He said, Then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Again, verse 3. When you see them coming, and you see them carrying that and bearing up the ark of the covenant, Get up from where you are and move from your place and follow it. Because you know who you believe in. You know who you can trust. They invested themselves in the good fight of God. And that's what we have to do. They did what they were supposed to do even when it was difficult. They had overcome all those obstacles. Now the previous people of the Israelite nation spent two years preparing, right? They came up to the Jordan River and they simply weren't able to do it. They chose not to. These people had spent 38 years traveling in the wilderness. I imagine they were sick and tired of living in tents. I imagine that they were sick and tired of eating the same food all of the time. Though it must have been wonderful, I've often thought about how wonderful that manna must have tasted. But after 38 years, I guess the same thing begins to get a little boring, right? They were ready to go into the land that flowed with milk and honey. They were ready to go in there and take all those vineyards, all those things that other people had planted and God had given to them. They wanted to take it. They had invested themselves. Paul commanded... Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Whether When we proclaim our belief in God, whether through initial obedience or whether we have to come back and rededicate ourselves because perhaps we had gotten off track a little bit, We get back in the fight, right? We're ready to fight that good fight of faith. And that's what God expects out of us. He expects that. God has high expectation for His people. And we better meet those, right? If we're not doing that, then the words of God ring empty 
as far as we are concerned. But when we invest in God, we've given ourselves to Him. See, that's where it all begins, isn't it? We give ourselves to Him. Paul talked about that. He talked about those brethren in Macedonia, how they first gave their own selves to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. They had some funds, not very many, but they gave financially, but he said first they gave themselves. If we give ourselves first, the money part will take care of itself, won't it? But we have to give ourselves. He had previously asked the Corinthians this. He said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. So he was talking about gathering up this money. And he was talking to them about a whole lot of problems that they were having in their congregation. And he first, he, he said, those Macedonians, they're doing what God wants. But they gave themselves first. All the other things became easy after that. But you first have to give yourself. We do not have the right to disobey God, really, once we begin to think about it, right? Because we're not our own. He owns us. We belong to Him, right? Nicole was telling me that last night one of her dogs was kind of running around the yard there a little bit, and a bunch of kids were out in the street playing, and, and the dog ran next door and just laid down, wouldn't get up. Nicole goes over to get the dog. She wouldn't get up. She just laid there. Well, I wasn't there. That's my dog. Now, if I'd been there, I would have gone over and said, let's go. The dog would have got up, followed me home. She knows to whom she belongs, right? Now, she'll be a little bit stubborn with, with the girls, but she'll, she'll mind me fairly well. She knows to whom she belongs. See, we all are going to come across our own flooded river at some point, right? We have to be prepared for that. If we're going to be successful in crossing over our Jordan rivers into the promised land that awaits us, we have to be prepared. We must proceed in that preparation. But again, it doesn't stop there. There's something else we must do. This is going to be our final point tonight. God must be continually pursued. We never arrive. We must never have that idea of, I have arrived. I obeyed the gospel. I've got my assigned seat in the in the pew where I always sit. That's kind of how it is in the churches of Christ, right? We have our own seat where we always normally sit. We feel comfortable there. See, that's just, that's the easy part, isn't it? Coming to worship. That's something that we just enjoy and we're, we're glad that we can offer that to our Lord. That's not the hard part. That's not the obstacle. See, we have to continually pursue God just as Israel did. And they did it, we're going to notice, reverently. They did it reverently. The people were to follow at a distance, the Scripture says, of about 2,000 cubits, which is somewhere around 3,000 feet or three-fifths of a mile. They were close enough to see the Ark of the Covenant, to stay encouraged by what they saw, but they were far enough away not to encroach upon the holiness of God, and it was the perfect distance chosen by God. See, the problem today is we allow ourselves to get too far away from God. Do you recall in the New Testament when the Lord was going to, uh, through the trials, and He was headed over to, uh, to be mocked and to be made fun of, and Peter was following, it says, afar off, right? 
What was he doing? He was kind of on the outer edge. He was warming himself, always saved by the devil's fire. He wasn't close. Where was John during all this? He was right with him, wasn't he? But Peter was out of the way. He had allowed too much distance to get between him and his Lord. And we all know what happened. He denied him three times. And the third time with cursing and swearing. See, we have to be able to follow close. God demands reverence. He demands us to be very reverent, to stay just exactly as close as He says we're to stay. And if we do not do that, we'll end up plunging into rebellion, just like Peter did. Without proper respect, we cannot approach God properly. It's just simply impossible. Solomon said, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2. He says, For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. How often have you heard God blessed us with one mouth and two ears? Right? So we ought to listen at least twice as much as we speak. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the breakdown that it ought to be, but it makes a little bit of sense, doesn't it? God expects proper reverence, and that's in our attitude. That's in the way we come before Him. We dress modestly. We come with the proper attitude. We don't come with a flippant attitude. We come before Him reverently. The Hebrews writer warned this. He said, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. He knew exactly what he was talking about, didn't he? Israel needed God's help so they could find their way home. God was the only one that could offer up that help because He is a consuming fire. He is the all-powerful. He is the one that will decide when we stand before Him on that great day where we will spend eternity. But really, when you think about it, we will have decided that ourselves long before that time comes, won't we? We'll decide. When we come to the end of our lives, God will help us and will prepare us for that journey, the one where we've never been that way before, if we allow it. Without Him, we can't find our way to our promised land, just as Israel couldn't find their way to the promised land physically. So He's paved the way for us. He's shown us the direction. He's pointed us. He's, he's pushed us in the right direction. He's furnished us with some information and a glimpse into the heavenly realm as much as we can understand. In other words, God has regulated for us the necessary requirements. He's chosen that. He's given that to us. Joshua told the people, Joshua 3 verse 5, he said, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. They were to make themselves separate. They were to be different from those around them. They were to be different from those people to whom they were going to go in and conquer and remove from the land. And how were they going to be different? Simply by the way they lived their lives, right? 
when we look at all those restrictions, and boy, there were a bunch of them, wasn't there? We look in the Old Testament, especially when we read the book of Leviticus, and you couldn't eat this, you couldn't do that, you couldn't do all of these things. Why was that? Well, everything God gives to us or commands of us, there are benefits to that normally in the physical world. But that wasn't the reason behind it. They weren't to eat pork. Well, sometimes if you eat undercooked pork, you get sick, don't you? If you if you are starving to death and you find a buzzard and you go ahead and you kill that thing and you eat it, it might be a little nasty. So you might catch something from that, right? So God said, don't eat those things that are unclean. But was that the real reason behind it? No. We I eat pork all the time, right? I love it. Anybody that doesn't love bacon, something's a little bit wrong with them. He said don't eat it simply to make them different. It made them different. And God expected them to sanctify themselves. That means to be apart, set apart, be different. They were to make themselves different. Of course, again, it's a little bit different for them than it is for us. They had all those restrictions. We read about that in Exodus 19, 10 through 15. That was probably a very similar way. They were to separate or sanctify themselves as it was when uh, the happenings of Exodus 19. But the point was they were to be separate and different. To those priests charged with transporting the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua commanded that they take up the Ark and that they go ahead of the nation and they lead the people. That's a very interesting Statement there as I read that. The reason it interested me so much as I was looking over this is because it's no different today. Do you know that the priests of the church lead ahead of the world? Notice what Peter said. Peter said, 1 Peter 2, 9, he said that the church was a chosen generation, it was a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that ye may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are God's priests, every single member of the Lord's church. And we are to go ahead of the world and we are to proclaim His praises. We are to shine a light into a world dark with sin. And if the priests don't do it and show the way in the world today, who in the world is going to do it? It's not going to get done, is it? People cannot find their way out of darkness into light unless God's people lead them in that direction. We have to be willing to be out front. We have to be willing to demonstrate that we have the discipline, that we have the responsibility to live like God has asked us to live and to be able to lead others in that same direction. You have not passed this way before. We're coming up on a journey, each of us, Either sooner or later, right? 